good morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John 1. We're going to look at verses 19 to 34 this morning. And as you're turning, let me wish the, all the fathers happy Father's Day as we, as we think about our fathers. And we'll, we'll pray for ourselves and, and for them at the end of the service during our prayer focus. So we have been working on our introduction and just go ahead and get comfortable. We're not going to read the whole passage today. We're going to look at it as we go. I'll read a little bit in just a second. If you ask Christine and I, if you separated us 26 years of marriage and you said, just if you could be honest with me for a few minutes, tell me what are the hardest things that you navigated? What are the toughest sticking points? They give you the most trouble in your marriage. We would probably agree with some of them, you know, besides being each other. <laughs> it is the context of the passage. It is really the context to understand the disciples, to understand John the Baptist, to understand the Pharisees, and all of this as we read this story and this life of Christ. It is unmet expectations. It is navigating the expectations within marriage that we, that we expect. I expect things from her. She expects things from me. You expect things from your government. And all of these expectations, we put expectations on our children. And most of the time, they are, they are left unrealized. And with that, our joy, our discontentment, comes to the surface. And, and so, when we think about what's going on today, even within John himself, uh, Growth Whip's going to talk a little bit about that. What were some of the expectations of the, the Jewish people, of the Pharisees, of John the Baptist himself, of what the Messiah was going to look like? We are notoriously, as humans, us-centered. <laughs> Most of our expectations are unmet because they are so radically self-centered. And uh, so I want you to see something, even among our, our eyewitness testimony this morning. Turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 7. We're going to come right back to John. I just want you to see this. This is just our reality. And listen, it was John's reality. We're about to hear the testimony of John, but I just wanted you to see John at this point in this passage has been thrown into prison. Jesus is going about his ministry. Luke 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This was the question that John sent to Jesus from prison. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent to us, saying, Are you the ones come, or shall we look for another? Verse 21, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the lame Walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, the problem with all of us, even our eyewitness this morning, is we have expectations 
that are askew. And so John's writing us a letter some 30 years after many of the folks have come on the scene about 90 A.D. He's got this wonderful perspective as us. He's seeing it on this side of the cross. So he's giving us his expectation now of having realized who Jesus is and what he has done. And so he calls John to the witness stand for us today to bear witness. R.C. Sproul says it this way. He says, I believe that John the Baptist is one of the most neglected personages in all of sacred scripture, but that was not the case in the first century. That is, in the first century, John the Baptist was a man that needed to be looked at and listened to and remembered. And so let us hear from him this morning. Just going to read verses 29 to 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. After I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray for our time together. Lord, we have heard John the Baptist's eyewitness testimony. And thank you, it is refreshing to see even amongst the disciples and even John. Lord, we are oftentimes short-sighted and we don't understand when we look around at what's going on even in our world today, it's, it seems to be chaos and things are unraveling. And so, Lord, write our perspectives today. Write our expectations of even the country that we live in. And let us know what is our responsibility. What do we have that we should bring to bear? such a time as this. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John is having a rather long introduction. <laughs> We've been working on it for several weeks. We're not to the end of it yet, but we're almost there. He's not even really started laying, making his case. He's just presenting introductory statements, as it were. What he's trying to do for us is, like we said, with the vantage point of him understanding everything that he struggled with when he was with Jesus. He's laying the foundation, and we're going to see it next week, for Christian community. There's some foundational things that we need to look at again, especially given the times that we are in. The chief problem with unity, the thing that breaks community, is sin. Sin's what robs people of present joy and future hope. Sin. Sin is in the heart of all peoples. It makes community, listen, impossible no matter what system is put in place. 
The problem is sin. And until this problem is taken away, community is impossible. So John the Baptist points to Christ this morning. It's our main idea. He points to Christ. He is our only hope and he is the source of our greatest joy. Look, look at our first point. He's our only hope. The context, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And so one of the confusing things we've been talking about is we talk about John and John. Right? John the Apostle, some people call him the Evangelist, is speaking, is calling a, a witness to corroborate what his testimony, he's calling on John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is about his ministry, and religious leaders are called. Do you see the word the Jews? The Jews. John is using that to describe the Pharisees that are they're in charge. The Pharisees first appeared on the scene in the 2nd century B.C. According to Josephus, who's just a Jewish historian, he lived between AD 37 and 100, he said there were 6,000 Pharisees in his day. That is a force to be reckoned with. Just, just think about those numbers for a minute. What do we have? 10,000, 11,000 people in King's Mountain. Get them all together, divide them in half. That's roughly how many Pharisees there were. They were in charge and they loved their authority they protected their authority with murder <laughs> killed Jesus the issue here that was going on in John's life is the same thing that's going to go on in Jesus' life with them and then even in Paul's life it is the issue of authority they had it everybody had to answer to them and so no prophet had been on the scene since Malachi for 400 years all of a sudden this this wild, crazy sort of guy is out in the desert preaching a message, calling on people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It didn't take very long to gather a crowd. And so it was the obligation of the Pharisees to ask the question, on what authority do you do what you are doing? So they asked the question, who are you? John could have said, who am I? I am the last Old Testament prophet. That's who I am. Who are you? That's not what we see. It's an important lesson in this first section of how we give people hope is not that we give them hope in ourselves. John gives a humble witness, a humble response. You see it? John's humble witness begins with, I am not, verses 19 to 21. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the, the prophet? He said, No. He's not told him who he is. He's just telling him who he's not. Three people they bring up. The Messiah, Elijah, prophet. Adding the indefinite article, the, sometimes helps us understand what the Pharisees are asking. The Messiah, the Elijah, the prophet. This reply of uh, John is saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. And then he says, were you Elijah? He said, no. If you turn to Matthew eleven forty-eight, 
14, Jesus himself says that John the Baptist was like Elijah. So, is he not, or is he? What Jesus is pointing to is that John the Baptist came in the same like power and spirit as that of Elijah. If you remember Elijah, just go back and read the, 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 the work he did and the power that he, he had, God working through him. John was going to be like that. What John is saying is, I am not Elijah reincarnated here. I'm not Elijah the man. I'm not him. He said, well, are you the prophet? What is he asking there? Well, we've looked at this text, Deuteronomy 18, 15. You remember what Moses said? The Lord will raise for up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers, and it is him you will listen to. He's saying, are you that guy that Moses said that this prophet, this greater prophet is coming? He said, no. John's not claiming any honor for himself here. He's not pointing anybody to himself. He's saying, I am not the Christ. I am not that one that Moses said was coming. This is the secret of honoring God, you see. is to not honor yourself. Luke 14, verse 11 says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is why the first century church even exalted or pointed to John the Baptist as a witness and as faithful, but he never pointed to himself. John's humble witness. They weren't done. <laughs> it's not good enough to tell somebody who you're not. They said, our God, who are you then? Look at verse 22. So they said to them, who are you? Here, <laughs> they had to go answer to somebody, you see. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So let's see what the prophet Isaiah said. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. This is what John is quoting. We said this last week. It is impossible to unhitch the Old Testament from the New and understand the gospel. Here is just one of many points. What John says makes no sense if you do not understand that God's people were in exile and were longing to come back home. And so what he was heralding is this. What's going to, what's going to happen when we are allowed to go home? When the Messiah comes and he leads his people home? Listen, Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. That her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hands double all her sin. A voice, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be made low. And even the ground shall become level and the rough places plain. What? Isaiah is saying, it's when the king comes to deliver his people. If there is a mountain in the way, move it. If there's a pothole in the ground, fix it. If there's a place, fix it. Dig a tunnel if you have to. But the king is coming. Make way. Growth Group's going to talk about this. Ezekiel 3. Why did God often call the prophets watchmen on the wall? Leave that to y'all, growth Group 
talk about. You see, John the Baptist came to prepare something. You see it? To prepare the way. His baptism was preparatory. His message was calling them to a visible sign of repentance. The king is coming. Prepare yourself. Do whatever is necessary. He is here. It's an urgent message from John. Calling on Jewish people to be baptized. Now don't, mis- don't misunderstand that because we are Baptists, we, we, we invented baptism. Or that even John did. Baptism was part of Jewish life. When a Gentile converted to Judaism, they were almost always self-administered baptized. They had baptized themselves when they came into Judaism. Baptism was a part of Jewish life. If you were a Gentile and you decided Judaism was true, then you would be baptized. What was happening, you see, is John was administering baptism to Jews. That was the question of authority. What, do you, what right do you have to do this? He says, my baptism is preparatory. It prepares us for a new baptism that is coming. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I want you to see it in verse 25 and 26. He says, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He's saying, I'm just preparing you because he's not saying he's coming. He's saying he's here. He's standing among you. He is with us. He is already God with us, and you better get ready. (laughs) That's what he's saying. He speaks plainly if you read in other places. But here's John's point, and my, our point here this morning is in verses 26 and 27. He is saying, who am I? Who are you, John? He said, I am just here to prepare the way for one. I am his servant. Look at verse 26 and 27 again. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Who are you, John? I am not worthy to untie his sandals. That's who I am. I am his slave. We don't like to talk about slavery. But quite honestly, there are things you will never understand about the Bible if you are not willing to see what he is saying here. Because the chore of the lowest slave, the household slave, was to untie the sandals to wash the feet. Remember what Jesus did? Why Peter got so angry? What John is saying about himself, I am here, I am the slave of the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Isn't that, listen, just a little application here. That in itself should produce joy. You're not somebody's hope. I send no one to hell. My poor evangelistic presentation doesn't either, by the way. People are going to hell. The wrath of God is on them. Can I relieve a bird from you? You are not someone's hope, nor your joy. We are John. We are slaves of God who point to the only hope. 
And that is Jesus. His testimony is ours. I have no salvation in myself. But I know who He is. It's our second point. Christ is the source of joy. Now for John, he does not always stay chronological in his story. When we get started, he's not concerned about that. But here he is. And so he says in verse 29, the next day, it's important. So the Pharisees send these people to ask him, who are you? And he says, I am the one who came to prepare and I am a servant of God. So they go back and report, the next day, you imagine those that were there one day were probably there the next. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That word behold means look, <laughs> look, he's here, there he is. Why did he call him the Lamb? Not as prominent in the New Testament as we might think as far as language. So what was John thinking? Well, we know first we had the sacrificial system. It was, it was the life of the Jewish people. But there are some other references that I think were in John's mind. This Bible-saturated man. Do you remember? We're going to look at these, but just recall some stories. Do you remember Genesis 22, verse 8? Abraham and Isaac, and he told him to go offer Isaac, your only son Isaac, on the altar. You remember Exodus 12, the institution of the Passover, this Passover lamb to commemorate God's people leaving. You remember Isaiah 53, the suffering servant described as a lamb being led somewhere. This is John's witness. This was a joy-filled witness. Did John understand everything? Absolutely not. John was doing what God had told him to do. John was bearing witness that the Lamb was here. And listen, this is what I was talking about the other week. He's here to take away the sin of the world. The world. Remember the world? The world, the fallen people, and all their doings. He's come. The Lamb has come to deal with the sins of the world. The Lamb has not just come to deal with the fallenness of the Jewish people. The new is better than the old. He has come to all peoples without distinction to a fallen world in rebellion against Him. The Lamb has come. That's John's message. So repent because He's here. So here's the question. How does this Lamb take away sin? Because that's the, that's the good news. That's, the, that's John's witness. He's already given us two or three big things. God is eternal and He's personal. He has incarnated Himself with us, moved in next door to take away sin. How? Turn with me to Exodus 12. One of those stories, do you remember? God's people was delivered out of Egypt. And God's people was not supposed to forget about the Exodus. It was God's deliverance of them. This started the annual Passover. Exodus 12 and verse 3. 
Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for his household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall not make your count. You shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. The lamb, brothers and sisters, provides a sacrifice. Something had to be sacrificed. This was the Passover, remember, the sacrifice of the lamb that the very justice of God passed over them. The sacrificial system was part of their everyday life. Two lambs were sacrificed every day, morning and evening. Hebrews 9 says this. I think we looked at this last week. Hebrews 9.22 These sacrifices could not take away sin. They had no ability. They were temporary. They pointed to something greater. The Lamb has come to take away sin by sacrifice. Hebrews 7, 27. He has no need, like those of high priests, to offer daily sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, this is how he, take, he takes away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was a willing sacrifice. This is what Isaiah is pointing to. Chapter 53 and verse 7. Do you remember? This suffering servant is portrayed as a lamb. He was oppressed, verse 7, and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, the lamb provides a sacrifice and at the same time provides a substitute. A substitute. This is the way sin is taken away. Brothers and sisters, I'm giving you the gospel answer to what's going on in the world today. The only way sin can be taken away is by sacrifice, by the gospel that Christ came to be our substitute. Do you remember Genesis 22? Offer up your own son Abraham verse 8 remember they're on the way and Isaac says dad I, we forgot something you know this is a big deal it's a long way back there but you know I don't see a sacrifice where's, where's the lamb remember what Abraham said verse 8 God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son so they both of them went together. And you know the story. Tied him up, set him on an altar, and the angel stayed his hand. And what was in the thicket? A substitute. You see, the sinner was responsible for bringing a sacrifice. A one without blemish. An animal that had done nothing wrong to deserve what was about to happen to them. It, it was their substitute. That's how serious sin was. But in Christ, God brought the lamb. And there was no one to stay his hand. He slaughtered his own son. Why? 
Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This is the joy-filled witness of John. And it is ours that the Lamb provides us. Sacrifice was our substitute. Third, the Lamb provides satisfaction. Awful lot of talk about justice right now, isn't it? You know, and once you study God's character for a little bit, you're like, you know, I tell my kids that all the time. Better be careful when you start asking for justice. If if the clouds rent right now and justice dropped on all of us, who would be left? Truly, the gospel answer is only those that the Lamb has taken away their sins would be left. You see, God's character demands justice. Be holy. Your Father in heaven is holy. Unholy sinners cannot come in God's presence. Romans 5.9 tells us what the gospel brings. It says, Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more we will be saved by Him from what? Somebody not looking at the text. What's it say? The wrath of God. Thank you. The wrath of God. Will we be saved by Christ from the wrath of God? This is what, why sin has to be taken away and why Christ is the only one. This is what verse 29 means. Behold the Lamb that takes away one word, a hundred times in the New Testament or so, or so, this word takes away is mentioned. Eighty-two of those times, it means just what is your English version is, says here, if you've got the word take away. It's what it means. Eighty-two times. Five times it means to bear, four times to lift up, and two times to remove, or you could actually say destroy or execute. You put all of those together you see what he's saying? This is complete atonement for sin. Complete. He takes it away. That's why he's here. That's why he incarnated himself to live the life we could not live, to die in our place. This is the foundation of Christian community. The universal offering of salvation to all peoples without any distinction. And the complete forgiveness of those people. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the very foundation of a unified community. The Lamb is going to take away something. But look with me at verses 31 to 33. The Lamb's also going to bring something. What He is going to bring is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, I myself did not know him. Now let me just stop there for a minute. He didn't mean he didn't know him, who he was. He meant he didn't know his identity as the Messiah to start with. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. Listen to what he says. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descends and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You 
you see that? John says, God's told me that the one that the Holy Spirit descends and remains on, he is the promised one. And what he is going to do is to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. See, John had already baptized Jesus at this point. This has already happened. This is, another, this is the second, at least the second, another encounter. The Spirit had descended on Jesus and remained on him. This was the sign that the Lord had given John the Baptist that this was the one. We see Jesus identified this way through his life and ministry. In Acts 10, verse 38, he's described this way. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so the, the baptism of Jesus Christ anticipated your baptism in the Holy Spirit. We looked at this last week. Let's look at it in a different verse. Ezekiel 36. This anticipated what the Old Testament promised would happen. That God was going to do something new with His new people. This new people that He would gather from both Jews and Gentiles. Both slaves and free. Both men and women. All people would be gathered in. And He would pour His Spirit on them. Ezekiel 36 verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Verse 26, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. Do you see? It's just not enough for Christ to remove sin. Christ came to change your very nature. This is the gospel message this is the, the world's only hope. It is not a new program. It is not a new president. It is a new heart. John 1.34, John's final witness says, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Some manuscripts actually have the word there for son, the word chosen one. He is the chosen one of God. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Aren't you glad today that John's expectation that Jesus was going to come on the scene with a sword in his hand and bring absolute justice to the nations didn't happen then. Aren't you glad that God, the Son, came as the suffering servant to fix our spiritual issue by removing sin to bring us to God? Aren't you glad of that? John, the apostles, writing this, saying he did it. Suffered in our place to bring us to God. John's testimony is the same as the other John's testimony. Jesus is the one that was promised in the Old Testament. We both seen him. We both testified. 
We both acknowledge that God the Father set His power and His Spirit on Him. So what? So what today? How does the gospel fuel my hope and my joy? Like right now, right here. Well, turn with me to Romans. I wish we could look at all of it. We don't have time. I was telling Christina, the aggravating part of every pastor is to study all week for a text you have to preach in 40 minutes because there's just so much here so grateful for our growth groups that can meet and talk about these things together by the way you don't know how much I appreciate you so I study this word I, I swell up and I can't get it all out I trust you to help our people understand this this application is important how does this affect me every day how do my, this understanding that Jesus came to take away my sin problem fuel my joy and my hope? Look at Romans 6. I just can look at a couple of verses. Verse 10 and 11. We need to think about these things. For the death Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. It's like the so what? So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Verse 14. The promise. This promise is true of every Christian. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law but under grace. Just two points in application. To have a new relationship with Jesus Christ is to have a new relationship with sin. If you don't have a new relationship with sin, you've not, you're not born again. Christ gives us a new identity. A one that doesn't matter what someone has spoken over us or to us. Christ is the sovereign one. He is God. And when He speaks our identity, that is truth. He gives us a new purpose. He gives us a new life. And He tells us that the old... We can still remember those dumb things that we did in our yesterdays, can't we? <laughs> right? We don't get amnesia. We will pray for amnesia sometime. It's old. It's crucified, you see. It's dead to us. Christ does not forgive us and then throw it back in our face. That is not forgiveness. Something is new. It unites us. What does it do when I understand who I am and what Christ has done to my sin? It frees and it gives me rest. How much do we need that today? Much talked about freedom. The kind of freedom I'm talking about is freedom for kingdom labor. There is an false understanding of Christianity. And I see it on TV all the time. It's all I can do is not to throw something at it. Here's, it sort of paints this way. You got an atheist and a religious person. And of course, the atheist is strong. They don't need God, right? I'm, we're good all by ourselves. Got my science. Got my stuff. I'm good. But the religious person, he's sort of weak. He's a little weak need. He needs a little bit of help. So he needs redemption. So, his God will give him redemption. He will. But then he has to spend the rest of his life paying it back. You've seen it? The guy goes into the priesthood. 
he becomes a monk or the rest of his life a sinner. After what God has given you now, you need to... Brothers and sisters, that's a debtor's ethic. That is not Christian. And that will not fuel your joy nor your hope. It drains it. It's not what Christ did. Christ did not forgive you, then put a debt on you that you must live the rest of your life to pay back. You cannot pay it back, and you don't have to. That's why we call it grace. That's not freedom in Christ. And listen, if you're doing that today, what you're doing is not kingdom labor. You're just paying back a debt that Christ said you don't owe. We have to pay Jesus back. It's not really grace. And Listen, you can't pay Him back. And you don't have to. Could it be that we don't share our faith not because we have too much joy, but because we don't have enough. Not because we, don't, we have too much freedom, but we don't understand what freedom in Christ really is. Because if we stop beholding Christ, we begin beholding something else. And that something else will not give you freedom for kingdom labor. And listen, it will not give you rest. This rest that Christ offers us is rest from condemnation and shame. You will never find me promising you if, you if you're going, if you put money in our plate, God's going to give you something. I don't have to do that with Christian people. I merely have to point to the cross. And God's people will well up in generosity. Rest comes by trusting in the work of Christ as sufficient. Trusting in it as grace. You see... It's back to our expectations, isn't it? Right now, right now, in our situation. Who are we trusting in to give us freedom and provide rest? An administration? Listen, it's just a truth today. You can go all over the world and you'll find Christians growing in their faith and you're going to find every kind of government known to man. None of them has the answer. No man-made government system can bring a united community. There is no man-made institution that can provide lasting hope and abiding joy. It is the church of Jesus Christ has been given the keys to the kingdom. And no one else has it. Only the church of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is the message of the gospel. The church doesn't need a new message. We just need people who believe the old one. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy, a pastor, this, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. You see, that's our starting point through the conversation. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And you know what? I'm number one on the list. You see, in one hand we have humility. On the other hand, we have the power of the Lamb. And with that, brothers and sisters, God tells us to go out into a world that seems to be unraveling and bring the message of the gospel. And God will gather His people. Let's pray together.
Lord, this is the message that you've given us. Lord, there's been men stand up and throughout all of redemptive history and preach the message just like this to your people. And so, Lord, we trust you to do the work. You said, Lord, that you sent your Son to do these two things, to remove sin and to give us the Holy Spirit that will cause things in us. Lord, that's what we want you to do in us today, right now, Lord, is to cause things, those things that you have told us to do. Some of us just need to be encouraged. We have watched too much news this week. Lord, orient our perspectives around the Lamb now as we come to the tables. As we stand to our feet and begin to sing, and as we go back to the, the tables of your presence to where we remember what your Son did for us, we remember that He was our sacrifice, that He was our substitute, that He brought together a group of people that would not have been together if you would not have slain your own son to remove our sin to provide our justification to make us like you and to promise us glory in the future since you have done all of these things we as your people have much to be grateful for and we can be grateful. Whether we are a Christian in China who don't know whether the police are going to knock down the door. We can do it in Haiti or somewhere where we're not even sure what we're going to eat for lunch. Or if we're going to be able to eat that day. We can do the same thing, Lord. We can lift your name. We can. This gospel is unchanging. The message is the same. Oh God, that we would know the message and that we would live it out in both word and deed to a world that doesn't even know what the problem is and does not have the answer. And so God, would you receive our worship now as we sing to you and Lord, as we sing to ourselves, as we have communion with you and each other, as those people who are called by your name and saved by your grace. Receive our worship now as we sing, as we take communion, as we give our offering, and as we celebrate our Father's past, present, or future. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us.